The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Dr. Jen Mann, psychotherapist, author, television and radio personality, and host and therapist for VH1 Couples Therapy, now in its sixth season. She's also the author of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jen. Thanks so much. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks so Um, much for having me. Well, Dr. Jen, you you say, and I'm quoting you, I guess, uh, relationships aren't easy, even the good ones. And if you're on the verge of a divorce or breakup uh, or in a great relationship but want to take it to the next level or single and want to make sure your relationship is better, this book is for you. So tell us, how is this book for us if we want to do any one, if we are in any one of those positions. And I would also even add singles. I, I've had a lot of singles who have read it who said, uh, now I feel prepared for my next relationship. Now I'm, I'm <laughs> much clearer on where things went wrong with my past relationship. And to, to answer your question, I've divided the book into six different steps. And they are what I believe after almost 30 years of clinical experience and a number of years doing couples therapy on VH1 and many years doing a call and advice show on the radio, which has been predominantly relationships, that these are the six things that people need to know about to have a healthy relationship. The first chapter is how to create connection. The second is how to fight fairly. The third is how to negotiate in your relationship. The fourth is how to work through childhood issues, because as you know all too well, being a social worker, our childhoods are one of the things that impacts our ability to have a romantic relationship the most. The fifth chapter is how to forgive and make amends. And the sixth is how to reignite your sex life. All right. Those are pretty heady topics. So should we start with the first one? How to make a connection, I guess, obviously, is the first thing, whether you're single or well, let's start with the first, though. So let's say you're on the verge of divorce. Let's mm-hmm. be specific. And because uh, that's that's very difficult. Uh, those are difficult situations. And, I, and this is sort of like we're getting a personal session with you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you do? Like How do you do? I mean, of intensive therapy with me. Right. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So we're going through a divorce. How does this all fit into that? You have a couple coming in for uh, therapy. Counseling, marriage mm-hmm. counseling, divorce counseling. How, given your these six steps, the guide, your book. How well, how do how do you work with these couple? How do well, you work with a couple? Specifically, you start out by saying you know about connection, and you know there there's a researcher named M. Gary Newman who I'm sure you've read lots of his books, and M. Gary Newman did a fascinating study, really one that that shocked the results shocked even him. And he looked at, he did a survey and a study of cheating men versus non-cheating men. And then years later, he looked at cheating women versus non-cheating women. And what he found shocked him. What he found was that 
only 8% of the time with the men and 7% of the time with the women did the cheater cheat purely for sexual reasons. The other, over 90% of the time, it was because of a lack of connection in the relationship or a combination of a lack of emotional and sexual uh, connection in the relationship. And I think that what most people don't realize is how important it is to nurture that connection. When people are connected they're not getting a divorce. It's that lack of connection that leads to that slippery slope where other bad things happen and the relationship tends to disintegrate. And couples need to take the time every day to bond, to talk, to connect throughout the day, to spend that time having conversations. You know, we're in a society that really is not conducive to connected relationships. It's conducive to reading our phone. It's conducive to being on our computer. It's conducive to turning on the screen and and watching a show. But really, in order to have a great relationship, it's important to do these things. And I also, in addition to almost 30 years of clinical experience and doing these shows and working with all kinds of different people, I looked at what is the latest research? What do couples need to know? For example, that I found a study that said that when you text your partner every day to let her know that you're thinking about her and that you love her, this study that's called Using Technology to Connect in Romantic Relationships found that texting to express affection was associated with higher reported partner attachment for both men and women. That I really looked at the research of what are the little things that we can do to help solidify that bond, to create it when it has really disintegrated over the years. And it's little things like that. And of course, obviously having those face-to-face conversations, lots of eye contact, those kind of things that help create connection. So would you say, you know, using, as you're describing it, you're texting is one way, but let's say one of you has a, a job where there it involves a lot of traveling. So would you say mm-hmm. Skyping each other as much as you can every day that that's Absolutely. or maybe once a day? Staying in touch throughout the day, having conversations when you can. You know, I had a, a period where my man, Eric, was traveling. I talk a lot about him and our relationship in the book, and he was in China a lot. And one of the things that got us through a lot of his traveling was that we were texting all the time. Like, I always knew what was going on, what meeting he was going into, even though, you know, I have a busy job, I have, I have you know, a, a busy life myself, but we really made an effort to stay connected through texting, through phone conversations, through all of that kind of Skyping and, and all of that. When you are long distance, whether it is because one of you is traveling or a long distance relationship, you have to work a little harder to maintain that connection. But what you're saying is we do have the technology to do that now, so we do have yes. to take advantage of it. Because I think we spend a lot of time criticizing technology, and you know we shouldn't be using it. But in, in this context, it sounds like a really, as you say, good thing in order to keep connected. Any exactly. other ways we can do it? I mean, in a busy day, I, I mean, you know, as we say. Spend a minimum, yeah. of, a minimum of 30 minutes a day talking. You know, without distractions like phones, televisions, or computer, M. Gary Newman's study of faithful wives versus the cheating wives, he found that happy faithful wives spent on average 30 minutes a day talking to their husbands. The ones that were not faithful, their number one complaint was not having enough time with their husbands. The other thing is make a lot of eye contact. You know, that really activates the part of the brain that allows us to more acutely and accurately process another person's feelings and intentions. You know, it really shows where our attention is going, and that lays a foundation for emotional intimacy. 
Another thing is look for opportunities to show support. There was a study in the journal Personality and Psychology, and it found that the way a person responds, and this really surprised me, the way a person responds to their partner's successes is even more important than how they respond in a crisis. And, and to me, that was really surprising. So when your partner has a success, go out and celebrate. Really acknowledge it, that, that, it, that the study showed that that's really important. Another thing is show gratitude. You know, studies show that, that more great, that couples who show gratitude in their relationships felt closer to each other. They were more likely to be in their relationship nine months later. And it also creates a real positive, a, a cycle of generosity and kindness and connection. How do you resolve the fact that, let's say, both of each one of each person in the in the relationship, they go to work, they spend more time with their coworkers, they have more opportunities with a coworker, let's say, to mm-hmm. be close, to have the connection, to have the eye connection, yep. to talk, not necessarily to have sex or to have a, an affair in a sexual way, but really, there's more opportunity to have this kind of affair at work with someone yeah. that you're close to all day long. How does that fit into all of this? I I agree. And really, that's why connection is the first chapter in the book, because it's so, so important. And, you know, I always say that, you know, there's always someone out there who, you know, who will be, you know, thinner, more muscular, cuter, younger, perkier, firmer, whatever it is. But we have to really nurture that connection in order to maintain the relationship, because you're right. There are people at work, and you you don't want to be in a relationship, whether it's you or your partner, where you get more connection at work than you do at home. It, it, it's really crucial to spend that time at home talking about all that stuff. And also, I talk about creating a couple bubble where you protect the relationship from incoming missiles, where you don't talk to other people, you don't cross certain boundaries. If you and your partner are having a conflict, don't talk to your coworker about it. Don't talk to your BFF about it. You talk to your partner or you talk to your therapist because the other stuff is not helpful to the relationship. That it is that if you have a problem, you know, you're talking to a friend who has their own biases. Oh, you know what? Your husband was rude to me one time. Oh, I never liked him. Yeah, he's such a jerk. I can't stand him. And sometimes our friends get get us riled up instead of helping us. And not to mention that if you care to resolve the issue, you need to talk to the person you have the issue with, not just complain to your friend. Yeah. Or your you don't co-worker. want to create this kind of intimacy with... Yeah people on the outside of your relationship. That's what I hear you saying. I mean, particularly exactly. I'm going back to the work situation and you said it's really important like to share successes with your spouse or your partner. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's easier to do that at work because they're also maybe yeah. part of this success. So, you know, the, but that the, it's, kind of emotional connection that you are talking about in the workplace, that's a gateway drug to an affair. It starts off as an emotional affair. And then before you know it, it's a sexual affair. All right, so we're talking about in the work situation. Okay, but what about, and I want to, because you say one of the things we're, we're talking about creating connections, um, you talk about changing bad patterns. Like, how do you actually make the change? Because we get into these patterns uh, as, as couples, and it's mm-hmm. really difficult to change, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that I, my goal when I started to write this book was, you know, I get these calls and emails and tweets and, you know, social media reach outs from people saying, you know, I wish I could be in therapy with you, but I I live across the country or I don't have time or whatever it is. I wanted to create a book that was the equivalent to about a year of intensive therapy. And, 
in order to do that, what I, what I did was anytime I created a problem that a couple may be having or a person may be having is I tried to include about five to ten different solutions and different tools that people can use in their relationship. Because, look, what works for you may not work for your neighbor or your best friend or your spouse, but I wanted to make sure that I put enough information in there so that there some, you know, different people will, will find what connects for them so that they can take steps. Because there's so many different areas where relationships go wrong or where people, ha- like you're saying, have these patterns and they don't know how to break it. But I really tried to provide all the tools humanly possible in order to help couples who read this book. All right. Well, let's talk about, give us one case history or maybe even two examples of, of, of how we do that or how one can do it. If this, you know, if it's, let, let's talk about changing a bad pattern. Give us an example a, well, of, think, of a know, couple. Chapter, chapter two, fighting fairly. I, I, I think that this is something that most couples don't innately know how to do. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen couples come into my office where, you know, they fight the way their mom and dad fought or they fight the way, you know, they think they should fight. But what happens is that when we hit below the belt, when we name call, when we raise our our voice, when we get too worked up, that it can derail the, the relationship instead of just the conversation. One of the things that I really love for couples to do, I'm not a big fan of the time out for children. I'm a big fan of adult timeouts. And I like for couples to establish before things get heated, before they even have the conversation, say, you know what? We both agree that when things get too heated, we do not have productive conversations, and we are both going to respect if one of us calls a timeout, then we will take a timeout. The key to an adult timeout is that you're not just saying, okay, timeout and walking out of the room. You have to bookend it. You have to tell the other person when there's an end to this. Otherwise, people feel abandoned. So if you say to your partner, you know what? I'm too worked up, I need 20 minutes to calm down, or, you know, I really need to sleep on this, I, I'm too upset, and I, I'm not thinking clearly, let's talk about this in the morning. You need to make a plan to talk about it at a certain time, and sometimes it means coming back at that time saying, you know what, honey, I'm still too upset, I, I, I need another hour, or, you know, let's give it more time, and to make a, a date and a time to meet back again, but that's a simple thing that can change a couple's relationship, because when we get worked up, when our adrenaline is going, when we are really angry, nobody can push our buttons like our partner because a lot of the buttons that are getting pushed, as you well know, are not just about our partner but about our childhood, about past wounds. So we tend to be super reactive when things go down. So don't be reactive. Be able to kind of step out, get out of the playing field, I guess is what I'd say, maybe in social work terms, right? Uh, Step out of the game for a while, and then you're able to go back to it with less emotion, with all that uh, baggage that you have, which comes from, well, can come from anywhere, but often our childhood, you're right, because we sort of react in the same way perhaps that our parents did. That's all we have as a model. Um, And yeah, so, okay, another thing, and I think this is really difficult for for people to do, um, and, and you address this in the book, um, being able to make an effective apology, because I don't think we like to do that. It's very difficult to apologize. Uh, if we have made a mistake or we have hurt our partner, whatever, uh, how do we make an effective apology? 
Well, I think that most people, like you're saying, don't know how to make a good apology. And, and it is so important in a relationship because no matter how wonderful you are, no matter how good you are at relationships, we all at some point will hurt our partner. We will all at some time make a mistake. So to me, making an apology is, is really crucial. And, and a lot of the time people think like, oh, I'll just say I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry is not enough. I look at the four R's. And I did a lot of research about the art of an apology and what makes for an effective apology. And what I really came to the conclusion was these four things are crucial. The first is showing remorse, being able to say, it pains me to know that I have hurt you so much. I'm so terribly sorry for the pain that I have caused to recognize that, to help the other person to see you are genuinely sorry that this, that, it, that you get how much you've hurt them. The second is to take responsibility, just, you know, to be able to say, you have every right to be angry with me. I shouldn't have said those things to you. There is no excuse for my behavior. I know I hurt you deeply, and I'm so sorry for that. To, to own the mistake that you made instead of blaming, instead of pointing fingers, even if, if those things are true, to own what you have done. The third is recognition, to be able to say, I know you're upset, and rightfully so. Tell me what this was like from your perspective and what upset you the most. I want to hear about your feelings. To be willing to hear about the pain that you've caused and to recognize it and acknowledge it is key. Uh, you know, that that is so important because when we don't feel heard, we can't heal. And then the fourth is remedy. You know, to be able to say, I'm so sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to shut down my Facebook account and give you all the passwords. I'm going to go into therapy so that I can understand why I act the way I do. To actually create a plan of action in order to right what has been wronged and to make sure that it doesn't happen again is key. I can't tell you how many times I have been, especially on my radio show, and someone calls me and says, for example, you know, my husband has cheated on me, and then I took him back, and, and that he said he was sorry, and now he's doing it again. I don't understand why this is happening, and inevitably I say, okay, what made you think that this is going to be different? What plan of action did he take? What, what made you think that he had evolved to a better place, that he had done whatever work he needed to do? And inevitably the answer is nothing. There was no plan. He said he was sorry. He cried or she said she was sorry and she cried, whatever the situation is. But in order for things to be different, you have to make a concrete plan for things to be different. Uh, Dr. Jen, what about is the you were talking about betrayal in terms of someone having an affair, a sexual relationship with someone else outside the relationship? Is that the worst form of betrayal, or are there other forms of betrayal that maybe trump that? I think that there are a lot of different forms of, of betrayal, and, and I literally list them in, in the book. But I also think that that one is, is it's a betrayal on such a primal level. You know, we covet the person that we love. We, we want to keep them near, and it, it's such a betrayal of our trust, of our, um, of our hearts when our partners betray us in that way. So I, I think it's probably one of the most primitive and primal that we react to, but there are so many different ways that we can betray and hurt our, our partners that, you know, unfortunately in, in, in this world we live in, I don't think we'll ever run out of ways. Well, so what are some of the other ways that would be just having to do money, finance? It can be anything from financial. It can be uh, choosing a a parent over your partner. I get a ton of calls, you know, from 
people who say, you know, my mother-in-law is ordering me around, my husband doesn't stand up for me, or vice versa. It can be sharing something that was told to you by your partner in confidence with someone who they didn't want to know or with anyone when they've told you that something is in confidence. It can be speaking to your partner in a way that is hurtful or mean. It can be name-calling. It can be criticisms. It can be using something that is a very deep private wound against them in, in a moment of anger or in an argument. I mean, there are unfortunately so many ways that we can betray our partners that, you know, what matters really is that you're able to know how to make amends and, and take steps to not do it again. What about when it comes to the children? Is there, uh, how does that work in terms of like betrayal? Uh, you know, sometimes one parent will align themselves with the, another, another child, for instance, and elevate mm-hmm. them to, uh, sort of a partner level and, yeah. uh, kind yeah. of a surrogate spouse. A surrogate spouse, exactly. Yeah. And, and typically when that happens, that's a reflection of a problem in, in the union between the two people. You know, we don't tend to elevate children to surrogate partner unless there's, room to do that. When your partner is not meeting your needs, not showing up for you, a lot of the time people reach for their kids to do that, which is incredibly unhealthy for the child, incredibly unhealthy for the relationship. And it is, um, it's very, it's, it's dangerous for everyone, for the whole family system. We have a few minutes left. So let's talk about, cause you know, uh, Listeners have to read the book, obviously. Uh, but l- I just want to touch on some of the topics and maybe the last one we can talk about is wanting to bring the relationship to the next level, meaning I guess that there's not necessarily a crisis or a problem, but mm-hmm. our relationship could be better. There doesn't have to necessarily yeah. be a, you know, a major betrayal, but how do you bring it to the next level? And how are you aware that there is a next level, really? Because And, and, you know, and that's one of the things that my book, The Relationship Fix, is particularly great for, that there are couples who have a good, solid relationship, and, and they may look at the title and go, well, I don't need anything to be fixed. But we can all be better partners. We can all learn new tools. We can all find ways to connect, to be you know better in bed, to communicate better, to, to do it better. And I, and I think that that, you know, that's what this book is really about. And it's, you know, it's filled with hundreds of pages of tips and tools in order to do that because, you know, you know this, that every relationship has different strengths and different weaknesses. And I really wanted to cover so many of the bases that there's no one that can pick up this book and not find something that they can connect to that will help make their relationship better. So would this be like a couple, for instance, who comes to you who says, you know, I, uh, I love him, I love her. Uh, we have a good relationship. I trust them, but we're bored. I mean, things are okay. There's yeah. nothing really wrong. Uh, we do what we're responsible people, but there's something kind of missing in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Is, is that would be sort of the presenting problem? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That could be one of them. You know, that, that I think a lot of the time couples, especially long-term couples, can let things get stagnant in the relationship, in the bedroom, in a lot of different places that we kind of get caught up in the mechanics of running our household, especially when there are kids involved that, you know, we're getting up and we're making breakfast and we're running out the door and we're, you know, earning a paycheck and we're coming back home and, you know, we got to do dinner and help the kids with the homework and drive them to soccer practice and get them in, you know, to bed in time. And then we're 
exhausted, we don't have time for each other. And I think that it's very easy to go on autopilot and not tend to the relationship. And it takes effort. And sometimes we take for granted that our relationship does become kind of a machine that kind of operates on its own. But at a certain point, that's not going to work. And we can't go on autopilot for very long without encountering problems. What's your best success story? I know you've had a lot of them, but can you just give us one where you thought, and maybe in the beginning as a therapist, you thought this is never going to work, or you really did the the prognosis in your head and your mind anyway was not good, but it turned out, it turned out, it turned out really well. One of my, a couple who I really love, and and I can speak about it publicly because it was on TV, and you know, as you know, because of confidentiality with private practice, it's a little more complicated, but. Um, season two of couples therapy with Dr. Jen on, on VH1, I had a, a couple, Nick Ritchie, who has this website called thedirty.com, and Shane Lamas, um, who was on The Bachelor. Uh, she won The Bachelor, then went on to be a, The Bachelorette. Uh, they came to me. They had been married for a few years. They had a, a, a small child at the time, and they came to the show really on the verge of, of divorce. They were about to filed for uh, for divorce, and they their communication was atrocious, and this is this couple who they loved each other very much, but they just did not know how to make it work, and they came to the couple's therapy uh, house, and, you know, would, we would sit in sessions and erupt into these fights. And, you know, I had to be really tough. People who watch the show will, you know, probably remember me yelling in, <laughs> in a session, you know, saying to Shane, you know, you're, you're effing up your marriage. Like, you can't do this anymore. And this is not the way to communicate. And, you know, one of the things that was great is both of them were so open to therapy and they were so open to processing their past and their history and really looking at why they were being the way they were in their relationship and how it was impacting each other and learning to communicate in different ways that it really ultimately saved their marriage. And, you know, I've maintained contact with them to this day and, you know, they underwent a terrible tragedy. They, she was pregnant with their second child and was rushed to the hospital and lost the baby and almost died herself. And it ultimately brought them closer and they now have a second baby and, you know, they credit me for saving their marriage. And, um, you know, I feel very, very grateful and honored to have been part of their journey and part of their process. And I talk about a lot of the things that, um, that, the epiphanies that they had and the therapy that we did in, in my book, The Relationship Fix, so that, that couples who didn't catch it on the age one can learn from it as well. Well, that's a great story with a obviously very happy ending. Uh, and we have a couple minutes left that really that's uh, about it. So I want to make sure we uh, the book, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. You can buy it on Amazon, bookstores everywhere. But uh, Dr. Jen, give us some more information in terms of websites sure. and your radio uh, you, show and how we can listen to you and also have sure. opportunity you, to read you your book and get more information media, about you and, and the I book. I always post you know, where I'm going to be and what I'm doing, where people can find me on TV and, and radio, uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. So two ends on Jen, two ends on man. And also on my website, uh, drjen.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-J-E-N-N.com. Great. It's been great talking to you, 
today. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks so much for being on the show, Dr. Jen Mann, The Relationship Fix. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Don't go away because we'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, Joining me this morning is Dr. Greg Teft, author, uh, author of Your Personal Life, Measuring What Your Body Needs to Live Lean, Long, Strong, and Better. Uh, Dr. Teff is a board-certified neuropathic and chiropractic physician, three-time natural Mist America, former Olympic and U.S. swim team sports med staff doctor. Uh, and also his clientele includes not only celebrities and Olympic athletes, but just ordinary people who want to be at their best. So welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Teft. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, your new book, Your Personal Life, uh, Measuring What Your Body Needs to Live Lean, Long, Stronger, and Better. I think without it, most of us or all of us want to do that. But I guess according to you, we really don't have an understanding really about how to do that. And traditional medicine doesn't always point us in the right direction. Well, really, they don't dig deep enough. You know, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all world, as you'd expect, uh, well, the markets tell you more or less. And this idea that, you know, you are what you eat and your body takes what it needs and eliminates the rest is absolutely false. And, uh, in fact, a lot of people are not aware, the largest study ever done on nutrition called an evaluation of research in the United States on nutrition involved every state college, every land-grant college, 21 years from 50 to 1971. There were two Senate documents about it. And they said that all diseases diet-related and the solution to all illness can be found in nutrition. 
but they defined nutrition as something different than what we defined it as. A lot of people think you are what you eat, et cetera, et cetera. No, no. They define nutrition as testing what's in food before you eat it, then testing what's left in your body, what balance, after you eat it, and lining the two up so you always maintain perfect stability or perfect balance in the body. And they said basically that there's a phenomenon called biochemical individuality where each person is different and has certain capacities to assimilate each of the food groups. And a lot of that is based on genes, but uh, also it's on metabolism. And this is something that confuses people because they think, well, my genes say this or that or the other thing. Well, they might, but uh, it's really what metabolism does. Metabolism is the sum total of what digestion, absorption, utilization within the body, and elimination add up to in terms of the operating efficiency of your body. So, simply speaking, if you consider a seed that you're about to plant, your genes, okay, it's got a seed has a blueprint for how this plant should grow and, and, and uh, ripen fruit if there's fruit at whatever you're growing here, whatever you're planting. But the problem is you put it in crummy soil. <laughs> I say crummy. I'm talking about soil that just doesn't have enough of everything that that plant needs. Well, guess what? doesn't matter how good your genes are. <laughs> if you're in bad dirt, uh, unless you had some miracle Grow, of course, or something, you're not going to get the full potential of that plant. And it's the same with the body. And the trick is specificity, it's not just dumping it in there. It's dumping certain things in more than other things, if that makes sense. So you're saying, else. Dr. Teft, that I, I want to interrupt you because you're saying that, well, I guess one size doesn't fit all. That's what you're saying. It's not that we all should be eating the same, which is what they do say, I guess, in, in traditional medicine or even nutrition is this is good for you this is good everybody should have so you know calorie wise and what you should eat for breakfast lunch and dinner but you're saying it's very individualized depending on a lot of different kinds of things well i guess then how do we know like how what, what are the symptoms let's say i'm eating what i think is a good diet what they are telling me traditional medicine and nutritionists are telling me what to eat but i don't f- I, you i think you give examples in the book i don't feel well i don't feel good i should feel good but i i get sick i'm i'm overweight i'm as you say i may be taking uh medication because things you know i get sick more often than i should so it's not working for me the traditional diet right so and, and that's the problem because statistically we are suffering from an epidemic of ever-expanding diet-related disease. Of course, diabetes is at the top of the list, heart disease even before that. Just about any, every degenerative condition, in fact, the Senate Report 264 categorized all, about 81% of all disease in this country is diet-related and uh, directly. And then indirectly, of course, when you have a germ, if your body's in, in better balance, you can deal with the germ better. So it works both ways. But Dr. Edith Weyer got up in front of Congress, and she said, you know, if we could get everybody doing what you just asked about, testing first, test their bodies, then match up foods and vitamins if necessary to balance things out by this phenomenon called the law of opposites, just using foods that are higher in the nutrients your body's low in and lower in the ones you're high in, which we have to measure you first. And vitamins, same thing. Uh, if we would do that, this is a quote she said we could eliminate 81% all diet-related disease within the United States within three decades. And of course, how do we test? Do we test? Be- else, but then there's a couple books about how they tried to keep that from public attention because of special interests, yada, yada, yada. I don't like to go to the dark side, but the reality is there's more money in keeping you on pills and guessing about things. 
And uh, that's yeah. the problem because just like regular it, medicine, Catherine, you yeah. can't go in to a doctor and say, look, you know, I look just like my sister. I think she needs the drug I'm on. No, no, your sister has to go in and be tested for her needs. It's supposed to be the same for nutrition. And there's a long story about how this thing got on track, off track, politics. A lot of it's in the book. But the reality is that this is called the German model of medicine. Forget about the product. Figure out what you need first. Everybody says, well, you should try this product. And then I go, well, you know, maybe that's not right for me. That might help you, but not me. And there's all these different types of metabolisms we've measured. We've looked at over 123 million people. It's absurd. People, if only people knew what we knew. We have people believed, believing that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, I have a whole family that had an apple a day. Well, they don't know that apples stimulate histamines in the body, and they were having all these allergic reactions. And all I had to do was get them off the apple. But nobody <laughs> told them that before. They're t- oh, you need to have but, an apple a day to keep the doctor okay, away. Okay, I, w- I want to interrupt you because, okay, let's say I agree with that premise, or uh, many of us do, but so in a practical terms in the context of the kind of medicine that's practiced today and nutrition, what do we do? I mean, before we get, let's say before we get sick, I mean, we don't necessarily have to wait till we're sick or we don't feel well or we're overweight or all of those kinds of things. How do we start? Do we go to our primary care physician and say, I want to be tested, as you're saying, or just from a practical standpoint, how do we figure out what's the best nutrition for us or for our kids for that matter? Well, well, don't you wish? Don't you wish you could just go in and have that done? But 99% of what the average medical doctor is focusing on is a crisis, a situation that's already arisen from many years of being out of balance. And they only look at crisis chemistries. There are 3,000 tests that can be done on the human body. They only teach 125 in medical school. Well, what about the other 2,900 <laughs> that look at every nutrient, every cell regulator, every toxin? And what about the huge computer uh, bank we have right now, database, that shows all these patterns of disease that start with these abnormalities, toxins, nutrients, cell regulators being out of whack years before you actually get sick? Well, they don't pay any attention unless you happen to know a functional specialist. There are a few uh, out there, but they're few and far between because the average doctor is not focused on that. So what we did, I used to be at Malibu Health and Rehab Habilitation working on all the rich and famous. We did all the tests. I was on CBS this morning. Everybody said, hey, you know, this, using this approach, we, he's, he's just solving all these problems, getting these celebrities in incredible shape and incredible time, yada, yada, yada. But at the, at the conclusion of that segment, Dr. Bob Torman would say, you know, what Dr. Teft is doing is it's like what Thomas Edison said. He, he's not using, he's using nutrition to fix things. But the problem is it's very complicated, very expensive, so it's quintessential to the rich and famous, which got me thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could just mass produce a test that did more for less? And that's what we've done. That's what our company did. We put all the tests side by side, all these 3,000 tests, and found the most common denominators in one given group of tests that just is, is taken from here. And it was all cross-correlated. It's reverse-engineered now. We have all these patterns of diseases, about 80 now, that we can pick up many years before things happen. We can explain all the symptoms. You know, a person might have a headache. Well, what's my headache from? If you watch Kindergarten Cop, the little kid said to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, by the way, does this program, uh, yeah, it's it's a tumor. Well, it could be. It could be just dehydration. It could be sugar. It could be a problem with copper and iron not being in the right. There could be, you know, 500 things causing that headache. Symptoms are not the guide. Condition-focused nutrients are a joke. It's already been disproven in all of the journals. 
One of my mentors was the former editor-in-chief of the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine, which is like the New England Journal of Medicine for, for functional or natural medicine. And they looked at all these things, blood type, all these, have nothing to do. Let's go in, find out what's going on in the body, what toxins, what nutrients. And all we did, our group, our people, our lab, all we did was we, simp- we simplified it, got it down to something anybody can afford and with an incredible amount of reliability. And it's medically proven. Registered with the government, in fact, it's so good. But most people don't know about it. Except in other Most people don't, but hopefully after they listen to the show, they will. But how does this work with children? Because now, I, I mean, it seems to me that there are so many allergies that children succumb to before they even reach middle school, elementary school, peanut allergies. I guess you can go on and on with all these different kinds of allergies. And I guess you yourself had asthma uh, and uh, Yeah, And when you say asthma, I think of magnesium. I think of cobalt. I think of vitamin B. It's weird. I get in with a group, and I've worked with many medical groups. They say, well, this condition, I, uh, you know, high cholesterol. I go, well, that's a problem with two enzymes that are run by zinc and copper. And they look at me. I said, yeah, you ever hear red yeast rice? Yeah, maybe. Well, red yeast rice increases the copper attachment to the, the enzyme that breaks copper down. Your medication does the same thing. But you can step it back in another level just by getting zinc and copper to assimilate in the body in proper balance. Your body has this capacity to sort things out. If you only get close enough to let it do it. I mean, these people wolfing down vitamins, it drives me crazy. The Haynes studies, 40 years, 78% of people in America are taking so many of the wrong vitamins, they're doing more harm than good. That's in the study. It's not about guessing. You know, your life's at stake for crying out loud. Let's get down, let's get under the rug, let's see the dirt under the rug first, right? And, and try to prevent, you know, the, the dirt buildup, in this case disease. Straighten out your soil so your genes can thrive. And even with our tests, we measure metabolism. We have people that accelerate metabolism, that is, produce more energy per bite of food by 20 to 30 percent. Imagine a lot of our people can eat 20 to 30 percent more without gaining any fat because their body's that much more efficient. And don't forget, UCLA and the Arizonian Biosphere study said, look, if we all use these nutrition tests to guide how we eat and how to deal with toxins that get on us or in us one way or the other, like the, for me, chlorine from the water from all that swimming or arsenic from working with insecticides, because we can clean that out. If we just would do this, have this approach, I know this is going to be mind-blowing. They said it, not me. They said, look, we'd all live to be 166. <laughs> Can you imagine? But what do we do from, I keep getting back to the practical. This is, you know, people listening. Okay, that sounds good. Let's say I, I, I'm tested. I realized, you know, what I need or my family, because you have families. You're feeding your family. Do you feed each one in the, what do you do about, for instance, feeding your family? Do you, each person get an individualized portion of whatever you're serving, whatever fits them? You know, it has to, it's, you know, it's not one size fits all. How do you do that in a practical sense? Well, it depends on what we find. And obviously family units have a closer genetic uh, attachment and they have a, a more similar lifestyle experience. So a lot of times families are similar in what they do, so it's not that hard to do. Uh, sometimes they'll have a mom or dad that does a lot of traveling, has a job, and they eat out a lot, and they'll be off the chart in some other respect, and they might have to, in their own way of uh, eating, they might have to adjust them themselves when they're at restaurants and such, but the whole meals, we usually find common ground. And then the lab, you know, it just automatically now, thanks to algorithms, like everything, algorithms turns everything, it's able to predict. Uh, it just matches what's in your body against all the food groups. And there are 37 ancient food families, and they all work out each food family 
has a similar nutritional uh, consistency. So you'll have dominant minerals as an example. Minerals run the whole thing. People, if they don't understand that, you know, it's, they don't get it. Because everything in your body is either the mineral, something made from it, or something controlled by it. Like vitamin D is made from calcium. Uh, vitamin B6 is made from potassium. You just have to know chemistry, which is one of my strengths. So what uh, we basically do is just we're able to predict what foods are best for you. We just The best foods are foods that are high in the nutrients that you're lowest and low in the ones you're highest in. And vitamins, they customize vitamins. They're medically proven. And it's so hard to make the vitamins work, they actually have to go to New Zealand to get the food to make the vitamins because the soil there is untainted. Unfortunately, our soil produces weak, diluted, toxic-ridden, uh, additive-ridden foods right now, insecticide-laden. It's just amazing if people only knew the real story. And then when you look at the statistics, you shake your head because people just think, you know, you are what you eat and take anything you want and it does the rest. Well, they don't realize that's, that's the biggest mistake we're making right now. Well, I know and, you have uh, some very thing. dramatic case histories that you can share with us. So it's always good to put the theory, at least it makes it easier to understand if you give us some specific examples. I mean, in terms of people who have been either, I guess, very sick or, uh, and who have been, you know, have, are, are well now because of this kind of personalized nutrition, which is what we've been talking about. Well, yeah, there's a gal, her name is Muriel. She gave us a huge Muriel M. She doesn't want everybody to know. <laughs> Don't call her, actually. We made a mistake once. Oh, well, we that. won't call Muriel, yeah. <laughs> now, Muriel is, uh, what, about 98 now. By the way, a lot of our people break the, uh, you know, get into their late 90s, early 100s, okay? The ones we've worked with over a long period of time. But she's an interesting example because uh, she, she uh, actually is, is very well-to-do and had all these different, you know, doctors at UCLA and this and that and the other thing. And she was, she had the shakes. She just didn't feel good. She had intermittent bouts of diarrhea and constipation. They said, hey, you know, you're, you got to learn to live with it. This is about 30 years ago when we started with her. So um, I did a number of tests on her, including uh, our Arbor Vitae BioCorrect test, which is what we talk about at the website, which sets the whole thing into motion. And, um, she says, you know, they told me I have Parkinson's because I shake. I said, no, you have a sense of tremor because of nutritional disturbances. And she thought I was like, okay, well, I get, I'm, I'm at my, my wit's end here. I'll, I'll believe you for the moment. I said, plus she got a bunch of parasites. She got a bunch of toxic stuff, mercury off the chart, which adds to the neural problem. Uh, she also, I also said, hey, you know, <laughs> you're on thyroxin. And you actually, uh, the thyroid is having all these effects. Uh, it's, it's suppressing your adrenal glands. It's causing certain energy-promoting vitamins to be used up too fast. She had all these, these uh, inconsistencies. She also had a fatigue problem where she'd have to sleep 14 hours a day. And uh, a list of, she had headaches. Her eyes were, uh, you wouldn't believe it, ears were ringing. Her eyes were uh, fuzzy. So we did these tests, customized her diet and supplements, and... Um, the, not only did it all clear up, but uh, her insurance policy changed because they couldn't find the shake. You know how in Parkinson's your hand has like a little shake to it? It disappeared. Just blew their minds, blew the doctor's minds. Okay. Uh, actually, I had one call, and he says, hey, whatever you're doing, it's great. You know, keep on doing it. <laughs> and then her husband, who worked for NASA, uh, as a president, had her go in for an actual age indication study. And this is after about 
18 years of being on our program, and dropping thyroid down to one of, uh, 0.25 milligram, one every seven days, just one a week from having the, the 10 milligram a day, which she hardly needed any more thyroxine. Uh, she also gained 14 or 15 pounds. She was underweight. She had a bone density problem. There's a whole bunch of things I'm leaving out because it's very complicated. But then she goes down. She's, as a president, he got her this evaluation. And she called me. She said after she did it, she goes, you know what? She goes, and this is at age 82. She says, you know, I'm 49. <laughs> I said, what? She goes, yeah, that's what UCLA told me. Biologically, I'm 49, which is the truth. She, they actually looked at her, all her measurements, her scans, her DEXA scans, and they said, you know what? Your body's as, as healthy as a, an average 49-year-old, and she's 82. Uh, plus, you know, she's in her late 90s now. And she's completely functional. She's not on any med except for the thyroxine. By the way, when she started, she was on five medications. She used to have to take antibiotics all the time. All that's gone. This is not unusual. One of the people that worked with George, uh, with um, Chuck Norris, George Davis, and I'll tell you his last name because he likes to brag about it. When he started this program, he had 23 complaints. In six months, he had only one minor complaint. That was, I mean, this happens all the time. We have people, our biggest weight loss is 400 pounds. I have Fox picked up on this. They investigated us, and they actually validated us. It's on, it's on um, uh, what is it, uh, TV, I can't think of the name. Um, it's, um, you can see the, the uh, what is it, not Gmail, but uh, I can't think of the name, Catherine. Help me yeah. out here. It's on YouTube. I'm trying to think. Is it, yeah. It's well. on YouTube, yeah. Okay, so they uh, YouTube. Okay, to be great. True. They had a couple people. Yeah. They actually investigated us. They have a story about Jody, who's a lawyer and a journalist, who went on the program and could not believe what happened. So instead of maligning us, they endorsed us. They, they, you know, as much as a news program can, they validate. I like to say they validated us. They said, "Hey, this really is it, worked is, on our people." Is it? They. <laughs> I have so. to ask you: Is this easy to do? I, I, easy probably is the wrong word, but do you have to be real? really committed i mean you one needs to be committed to following this regimen like you, do you have to see like someone like you every week to make sure that you're oh following? god no that's the whole point we want this we want to bring the doctor's office to you you okay. become your own nutritionist you just need data okay i need to eat more of this less of that i need to take this vitamin instead of that and the rest is in your hands we're here for support the lab uh, is, it's a, it, uh, the program's medically proven. It's considered a reference and interventional lab. So a reference lab means it can test all these uh, nutrients, but it's also interventional because it has registered with the government a medically proven program that fixes this stuff. So the lab pretty much lays it out. We support it, and, but people do it. It's like a science project on themselves. They see the results. I have a fellow right now um, that, um, in fact, we have some great testimonials you'll see on, coming up, some brand new ones. But I have a fellow right now that's able to give up his uh, Lipitor. And by the way, the medical profession hates it when you have to go off of drugs. But the, the, <laughs> the corollary of that is the number one cause of premature preventable death is from the side effect complications of correctly prescribed medications interacting and compounding over time. Talk about a mouthful. <laughs> so I even have a billionaire around the corner here. His white blood cell count keeps on going down, and I just looked at the mixture of drugs. I said, you know, the drugs you're on, it says every four of the ten drugs you're on say that it's going to lower your white blood cell count. And they're ready to do all these scans. Nobody even told you that. Sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes a drug is killing you, but you don't know it, and nobody tells you about it. We don't miss that. We get inside really deep 
down to the fundamental levels of what makes your body's tick, structure and function. And we clean up that dirt. We put the right stuff in. I mean, that's the only way to practice medicine. Thomas Edison was right. You know, we don't need drugs. In fact, drugs cause side effects. They change the way your body uses nutrition. So we actually reduce the side effects by putting in more of the nutrients that the drug is using up faster and less the ones it builds up, if that makes sense to people. We call this all... It does make sense. Apply more of what you have less of, less of what you have more of, and your body will meet in the middle. We call that genetic signature. Genetic signature. Okay, we have like literally two minutes left, so I want to mention your book again, and I also want you, we can buy the book Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere, but I want your personal uh, life, measuring what your body needs to live lean, long, strong. We appreciate Arborvitae because we put money into, uh, we donate to to, um, part of the money to uh, the proceeds to uh, worthy causes. So let me tell you about Arborvitae when you have a second, but uh, if they would get it from our Vitae, that way we'd give some of the profit to uh, people that need it. Also, um, yeah, I was going to say just, in, in, you know, as, as, a, in, as a synopsis, really, we're flying blind without this type of orientation. And just so you know, 76 countries, eight languages, this test is in right now. That's how popular it is worldwide. And guess where it's the, the slowest growth phase is? The U.S. Because everybody's so confused, the doctors aren't talking about it. And it's really I, I tell you, that doesn't surprise me. One minute left. What do we want to say? A website that everyone can go to so that they can obviously... Yes, please. Yeah. And we have a test. It's called the Arborvitae BioCorrect Test and a program that goes with that. If people would go to arborvitaenutrition.com and, and, and look at the uh, website, it's A-R-B-O-R, like Arbor Day, A-R-B-O-R, Vitae, as in life, tree of life, V-I-T-A-E, and then nutrition, N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com. And they could get a BioCorrect test if they'd like. They could get a book. It's all there. It's very inexpensive. We do the rest. We send the little kid out. They, they put a little hair in the, in the envelope. It's really, really easy to do. And Great. If anybody Thanks so much for being problems, on the show. Dr. Greg the, Teft, your personal life, measuring what your body needs to live lean, long, strong, and better. Thank you so much for being on the show. We are going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.